The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. Also, every month we're going to be giving away any one item to a Patreon backer at the $5 tier or above. Check out patreon.com slash professional casual for more information. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. another reason i wish we had cameras for our shows just so we could film everybody's stupid dance that we do while the theme song plays uh excuse <laughs> you stupid dance well i don't mind the stupid dance i can't dance for anything so you know chair dance mostly just moving my head around in a weird circle i was classically trained at juilliard so for chair dancing or run dance when you're running and you're listening to I music like and your arms are going flailing oh look my gosh it's one so of those fun used car salesman flappy dudes wacky waving inflatable arm too man yeah Yeah. she looks just like that when she run dances around the track it's very fun you know sometimes (laughs) a song just comes on and you gotta run dance man there are yeah 100% there are times in the car where I get really amped up for a song and just getting my blood pressure going just (laughs) jumping around (laughs) fucking banging on stuff and And then Ryan looks at you like what is happening oh I don't do it no I'm I'm too uh self-conscious about that you know what i mean it's like and when i'm in the car it's like the shower like i can sing as much yeah. as i want i can do whatever not even uh, if your kids are in the car no because if lily's in the car with me i you know i will do things to embarrass her like a good you know not so, like a good parent i don't mean that but so i guess yeah there are aspects of that but it's different like when four non-blondes come on comes on the uh, i wake in the morning and i step outside song Oh my God, I will yep. belt that out as high pitched <laughs> as I possibly can. Yes. But that's a moment for you. Correct. That's not something that you are like doing to embarrass your child. I mean, it's both. Right. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or Lindsay to annoy her. Yes. I mean, you got to annoy, annoy your spouse in the car. I almost said ignore. You got to ignore your spouse in the car. I do that a lot. 50 50. <laughs> annoy, ignore. Right. You know. Like that time I started singing along to a song and you just turned it way up so you couldn't hear me. <laughs> Okay, that's not why I turned. That is literally what happened. That's not why I turned it up, though. I thought you would want it to be louder. I like to play it louder when I'm singing. If there's other people in the car, so yeah. it hides my voice 100. percent Yeah, fair. Yeah, I can't sing either. Like I'm a really bad singer. Mm-hmm. So wow, you just gonna agree with her? Oh, I was um, commiserating. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I like to think I'm a halfway decent singer. You are a good singer. Your whole family is very musically inclined. I'm not musically inclined. I think I I can sing okay. okay. It's different. Okay. So what's the question? So uh, before I just want to say, I don't get to use this word very often. We're at the penultimate chapter of the book. It's his favorite word. I love that word. It doesn't come up very often. You know what other word is great that doesn't come up very often? Salubrious. Phlegm. Goulash. Oh, oh my God. I Take me back goulash. to my childhood. Oh no. <laughs> it was like my grandma's signature meal because it was so freaking cheap to make. Yeah. Like, she had seven kids and they were always bringing home friends and stuff. 
I only like one type of noodles and I only like them in one way. <laughs> and it's just regular spaghetti with only butter and Parmesan cheese. That's oh, that it. You're so the good. pickiest person ever. Yeah. Shaker parm or can you do grated parm? I've never had grated parm. <gasps> I've only Bro, had shaker parm. Okay. We've had the same wedge of Parmesan cheese for a could you not like 12 years? No, we've gotten a replacement. Oh, wedge. we did finally. That's not the wedge I remember mom tried to throw us. it out one time and you're like, no, you just don't eat the mold. <laughs> you just cut it off. It's fine. My grandma said that it's a hard when I was at her house and she was making me crackers and cheese. And I was like, there's, there's mold on this. And she just like scraped it off. And I was like, I'm not going to eat. This. <laughs> <laughs> um, was little kid Tim as picky as now or pickier? Uh, little kid Tim was way worse than current. Current Tim. I'm going to eat rice before. Like, no, they're all stuck together. They're touching. Like, (laughs) (laughs) they're like, it's supposed to. Didn't like Chinese food. Didn't like a lot of things. No, I've come a long way. Rice was weird for me as a kid because I watched uh, movies at an inappropriate age. So I saw Hellraiser when I was like five. And there's Still never this, seen it. Oh, God. And there's this scene where like she's in like his like upstairs apartment house thing and it's like, rotten food and there are maggots everywhere. So I always thought that rice was like maggots. That, oh, come on. Don't, I that, like rice. That was a big one for me. The maggot thing, because, um, I once ate some marshmallows that we had had on a camping trip. Um, oh, no. and they were covered oh, in maggots no. oh, or like no. just little mealworm type yeah. things. Yep. And I thought that it was like, Oh, these are those marshmallows with like the brown toasted coconut flakes. Oh. I ate like a bunch of them. <laughs> And then like a, one fell from like my lip or whatever. And I looked down and it's moving. And like, I thought I was going to die. I was in like seventh grade. So oh this is God. at a time where you come home and just like, you know, eat a canister of frosting because it's there. And there's, you know what I mean? Yeah, so like yep. I called my mom and I was like crying. And she's like, just drink some milk. And I was like, well, I, I know milk. what that's going to do. <laughs> That's the mom solution. Just drink some milk. Just yeah. drink some really hot water. It'll kill them all in your stomach. So wait, so then oh any, my little, God. any little thing, especially like brown rice and stuff like that. Now, granted, I love rice now. I, right. I would eat it with any meal if I could. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, that was a great story. I never heard that one before. Really? Yeah. I don't, at least I don't remember. Yeah. I feel like that one would stick That's out. Really funny. Oh, marshmallows with a little coconut stuff on them. Now I kind of want to get you a bag of that and oh, see what happens. <laughs> I do really like coconut. That's the thing. <laughs> you go off about coconut shrimp. Oh my God. It's so good. <laughs> a few months ago, we did. I'm Dan. Tim and I <laughs> were down here recording the, about, we're talking about final fantasy eight. Yeah. Which would be on the space between someday. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> we, there's just so much stuff coming out on that show. Yeah. Right? right. We got things planned out too far ahead and we were recording like a couple episodes at once. We were done. We were recording for hours. Hours. And Danny air fried a, a thing of coconut shrimp for us and we looked at it and we're like oh it's like way too crunchy we can't eat that while we're recording so it's like i'll right, we'll just pause and we each have like one and then we paused it and then the plate was empty in moments yeah. it was so good question for you listeners at home do you eat the tails on fried shrimp because i do and i feel like a lot i i felt like in my past i felt like a lot more people did and now i don't know anyone else who does you eat nobody the does tails that on those? i eat the tails okay. i eat the whole thing nobody okay. does that except you right on why not? Um, it's just super crunchy. The popcorn shrimp, yes. Well, popcorn shrimp, too. they're already... Yeah. Right, because th- it's all encased. Yeah, they already take the tails off of that. Sometimes. Do they? You want to eat the flesh, not the exoskeleton. Why? Exoskeleton it's, makes it's you strong. It's not going to hurt you, right? It's probably just it's like making, a, a, making an inside skeleton. It's like eating a bug. 
the same material. It's what I'm also completely for, and I think will be a very large protein source. I mean, I would eat bugs if it was. I have eaten like chocolate crickets or whatever, like um, at the zoo. Like, oh, for two dollars, you can eat this chocolate cricket. And you get a pin that says, "I ate a bug." <laughs> I uh, I had a case of chirps for a while, which are uh, cricket powdered protein potato chips. Oh, they're actually pretty good. Huh. Fun. I also have oh. Aztec bars, which are little protein bars that are also made out of cricket flour. I like that idea a yeah, lot. Cricket yeah. flour is pretty big in like a lot of like Southern and Central American countries. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with eating bugs. It has such a stigma in this country, Correct. but like well, there's yeah. no different. Like it's just another animal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I would rather eat this animal that costs thousands of dollars to raise and process and ship. But so I won't eat bugs as a protein source um, for like five pounds of cricket protein. It's like one gallon of water um, while for the same amount oh, for of beef, cows. it's like 34 gallons of water. Yeah. It's like something stupid, ridiculous. The cows take a ton of water yeah. to produce for like meat cows. It's mm-hmm. stupid how much water that it, they, a farm needs per cow, like per but, pa- you can break it down per pound and it's it's ludicrous. Yeah, but they're delicious and we love our farmers. Don't make the farmers mad, Dan. The farmers in this universe are also the cows, though. <laughs> That's entirely true. <laughs> Don't make the minotaurs mad. It's true. Can you just imagine the other primals and set being like, do you know how much water the minnows drink? <laughs> <laughs> they would drink a lot. They would. Yeah. And that's why set is on a river. Fair. Partly. Well, okay. All right. You asked me what the question was yeah, for this episode. This. Yep. So I planned out these Quentin choir <laughs> doesn't apply this time. Uh, sorry. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> so I planned out the last three questions. Totino's pizza rolls. A few weeks ago, actually, at this point uh, in, you know, our real time, which is very different from podcast release time. Yeah. And I wanted to keep them with kind of a theme that went along with like fiction and fantasy and, you know, what the show is about. So this week, the question is, what is your favorite fantastical monster so like could be from D or from a fantasy movie or tv show ethereal doppelgangers ethereal ethereal doppelgangers mm-hmm. that was a just you know out of character quick answer from tim it was but they are incredible they're like regular doppelgangers except they're from another plane of existence and the they, ethereal plane the ethereal plane and they come over here and then they pull you kind of aside and they're like, hey, your party's going to be going to this temple or whatever. There's this like relic I want there. It's not important. I just want it for my collection. Do you mind if I like pretend to be you? And in the meantime, you can hang out at my sweet mansion in another existence that's just filled with all this treasure that I've been collecting forever. <laughs> and if they say yes, he's like, all right, sweet. And he teleports it back there and then pretends to be them for a while until he gets what he wants. And then he brings it back. They actually finish the switch. They don't just stay. No, forever. they just... They that's, get what they want, and then they, really the other cool. person sometimes doesn't want to leave because they've been in this really cool like treasure planet for a while. I feel like this is a very Tim response, though. Like, this is so <laughs> fitting. Like, of right. course, that's the best. Yeah. So I love doppelgangers that they, they change their shape. Yeah, you always you like to say doppelgangers to be silly. I assume it's to be silly, at yeah. least. Um, I think they're super cool. I've never heard of ethereal doppelgangers that do this. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. They were in like one of the additional monster manuals in 3.5, and I just... I happened to read that thing and I was like, that is the coolest thing in the world. They're just so polite. <laughs> They're not necessarily bad either. No. Are they even really monsters then? I mean, they're monstrous humanoids as a, as a creature type, but only because, you know, they're bipedal and. Cause they're not human. Yeah. 
What's yours, Danny? Edder caps? No. Oh, edder caps are rad too. It's she like an ogre, but it's got bug face. No. What? Gross. They're, they're like humanoids of? with spider faces. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Nasty. My first like knee jerk thing was harpy. Mm. But that's just because <laughs> in high school, people called me Tharpy the Harpy. So not just people. Tharp, 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 tharp. <laughs> Your dad called you that. Yeah, my dad used to call me Tharpy the Harpy. <laughs> because he was in the D&D and stuff. Yeah. Um, but harpies are cool. I like sirens as well. Like going like Greek mythological. Sure. Anything from Greek mythology is very cool. Mm-hmm. And like the, oh, how do you pronounce her name? Persephone. Shabranigdo. What? Huh? It's a god that someone thought was real and then it was real. Oh, okay. Shabranigdo? Shabranigdo. Interesting. It's a very acute reference. Yeah. (laughs) While you're looking that up, I'm trying to figure out what mine is because I always forget to come up with an answer (laughs) at a time. I'm so bad at this. Other ones are easy, like Our favorite X Man. I knew that. It's not, no, that's not fantastical. That's oh, real world awful. Yeah, that's a real world scariness. Um. All right, so Cilia and Charybdis. Scylla. Scylla. It's spelled S C Y L L A. Scylla, like Scylla and Charybdis, right from the Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Scylla, I'm yep. pretty sure. Um, so she's the female version. Um, and so she's on one end of th- one side of this like narrow street, and uh Tribdis is on the other side. And I I just read this book. Uh and in it it talks about how she came to be this monster because she was just like a water nymph, but she was really vain and kind of a jerk. Um, and was mean to um, this other nymph, the daughter of Helios, named Circe, who ended up being like one of the first witches. And so one of Circe's powers that nobody knew about, and Circe didn't even know about, was that she could like do witchcraft. So she could have like plants and stuff take on certain properties that other beings couldn't do. So there was this one flower that only grew where a Titan or God's blood had been spilled. And so when she used it, she could have things um, become their true form. So like she was in love with a mortal. So she got him to eat some of this flower so that she was hoping like he would become a God and he did. But when he became a God, he was a huge jerk about it. So she was like, Oh, now that you're how you're supposed to be, you're kind of a jerk and I don't love you anymore. So this chick was going to marry him. And Cersei was like, eh, you're awful. So she put some of the flower nectar into where um, Scylla would bathe. And she became this like hideous monster with like 12 heads and like tentacle legs. Oh. And yeah, crazy. Very crazy. And I, I like the story behind it. Cool. Yep. So I listened to some of that. Yeah. So what's yours, Dan? Oh, I thought about I have a I had a bunch of different things. Centaur. No goblins. I do. I do like centaurs. Um, I I typically <laughs> get out. I'm, I'm, get out. I'm putting gnomes in like a monster class. No, gnomes are the worst. It's a ganadic elf. It's a ganadic <laughs> goblin. It's a gnome. It's a gnome. Uh, Actually, goblins or uh, gnomes were a monster class in fourth edition. It was a whole big, whole big thing. What? 
they had these promos came out, these little cartoons of like some of the changes. And there was a gnome and he was like, I'm a monster now. I have a layer. Oh, yeah. That was dumb. I, I tend to gravitate towards the big, big monsters that have like muscly kind of things. Ones that are pulverize you. Um, but the more I think about it, first of all, I can't believe you didn't say orcs. Mm. But I guess they're not monsters. They're not. They're regular people like you and me. Okay, they need fair. to be treated as such. Just they, like Cyclops isn't a villain. They have. <laughs> they said Cyclops was a villain. I said I figured you know there was certainly an argument there that I could make to have him as my favorite villain. <laughs> and then I was thinking, um, I love dragons, but I really like kobolds, especially Pathfinder Two kobolds. Yeah, are really great. And then I was like, no wait, classic. My favorite monsters are minotaurs. So why I almost felt that that was too spot on. So I didn't want to guess that like two on the nose. Well, it was like, why did I include, why did I make Brutus and Minotaur? Because I love Minotaurs. They're super cool. Warhammer, my first army were Beastmen, which was basically an army of little Minotaurs. Oh, they were goat. They had goat heads and hooves and stuff like, and they had actual Minotaurs in the army. So it's like, I love Minotaurs. I don't know what it is about them. They're always like big and strong and cool. They just, you know, smash things with their face. Yeah. All the things I don't like. We have very different qualities we look for in a we fantasy monster. We balance each other very well as right. far as on a fantasy spectrum, for sure. There we go. That's why I tend to gravitate towards like melee fighters in like RPGs and whatnot. And I will almost exclusively play something at range, a caster or someone with like a range weapon or huck and stuff. Yes. Love. I love thing huckers. Like when Lucky hucked that dagger at that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a grim podcast of Perilous Adventure. Oh, that was way more succinct answers than we usually get. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so real quick recap. Last happened. The ogre broke into set. Um, killed some primals. Was kind of on its way to winning. Uh, Cass also got back to set. She found Ronan because she knew Bren had him. So she figured out it was in that tree that he was like kind of defending, guarding before. Got Ronan out. Brutus finishes Mancha. He helped fight the ogre. Uh, Lainey kind of got the sword to work. We kind of yeah. glossed over that at the end of last episode. Kinda, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what else should we talk about? Totally forgot. She got the sword to work. Yeah, She just had to yell and shake it. That's how I get technology to work. Right. Um, she slashed through the ogre's leg. Ronan finished it off, cut off the rest of the leg and stabbed it in the face. We found out it was his friend, Hamish, the dwarf. Yeah. Became an ogre. So chapter 19 is repercussions. Repercussions. Walking down the street. Laney, Cass, Ronan, and Brutus sat around the table in the den. They had all collapsed in their beds for the morning. The sun was shining through the windows, lighting the den brighter than it had been since they arrived. They were all still covered in mud, cuts, and bruises, but at least had gotten some sleep. A knock at the door woke them all from their thoughts. Brutus lumbered over to the door, grunting at his sore muscles and bruises. <laughs> Lord Mel requests your presence, Hall said after Brutus greeted him at the door. Brutus nodded. The lupine warrior wore a bloody bandage over his head, his sword missing from his belt. We'll be along immediately. I shall escort you once you're ready. The group got up from their seats and followed Hall to the barrow. Besides extreme tiredness, the group was feeling Ronan's loss. He hadn't spoken since killing the ogre, but they all knew something was going on with him. Ronan had called the ogre friend, even called it by name. 
There was a story here, but the three knew to wait until Ronan was ready to tell it. Once they reached the barrow, they were all escorted to the great hall by no less than half a dozen guards, all fully armed and armored. Ordemel was back on her simple throne, halberd in hand. I'm glad to see you all survived. If it wasn't for you, Set likely would have been raised by that ogre. Cass and Brutus nodded. The corners of Lanny's mouth raised a little. Ronan stood, but looked like he wasn't there. All the same, I don't believe the ogre would have attacked at all if it wasn't for you. Brutus and the humans looked at each other, sensing a change in the winds of fortune. My guards have reported that you two girls left Set yesterday and entered the forest. One of you returned later in the day, alone. And shortly thereafter, the ogre attacked. We have known of the presence of this ogre for years, but have always left it alone. It had not moved for decades, at least. Lord Mel moved her halberd from one hand to the other. I do not know what happened in the forest, but I know that the ogre followed you back. I lost 12 soldiers, good primals with families, to this attack. Our gate has been destroyed, three homes demolished. It will take weeks to repair the structural damage. But it is the loss of life that pains me the most. If not for one other action from yesterday, I would have you pay for this loss. Lord Mel looked away, upset for the loss of her people. She bared her teeth and recomposed herself. Young Cass has alerted me to a problem our village faced, of which I was not aware. One musty called Bren has been stealing away primals and visitors to satiate a being of great power in the forest. Some strange insectoid primal or other type of creature convinced our hapless Bren to feed the creature monthly or else it would destroy her way of life. Disappearances have been a problem for some time, but we had no idea it was because one of our own appeasing something he saw as a god. Bren has been dealt with and this religio will soon no longer be a problem. Ormel paused for a moment to clear her throat and the four looked at each other again. Curious of where this was going. Because you brought this to light, and your actions after bringing the ogre here, I am going to spare your lives. You are hereby exiled from Set and not to return. Lanny, you are hereby stripped of your preceptor status. Lord Mel slammed the haft of her halberd onto the floor, sending a ringing echo through the barrow. The guards surrounding the floor immediately stepped forwards, halberds held in a defensive stance. They were escorted out of the barrow without a word and found a hall waiting for them. I am sorry to see you go, the lupine said as he walked with them to the gateway. Your things have been taken to the gate. I mean, the remains of the gate. As they made their way through the main thoroughfare of set, they saw angry faces watching them. From inside ruined buildings with collapsed roofs or walls smashed in by the arms of the ogre, eyes followed them, shadowed by furrowed brows. Lainey didn't understand why the people were so angry. Without them, the ogre would still be on a rampage. Nothing the primals of Set were doing was hurting the thing. It was only Brutus's strength and Ronan's sword that did any real damage. Ronan walked with his head down, watching his feet, silent. Spare our lives. We saved them from that thing. We couldn't help that it followed me here. Who even knows if that's what it did? It could have been wandering after it woke up, or it smelled the town. How much do you even know about ogres? Lainey threw her arms in the air. She got more excited and angry as she spoke. The other three ignored her and continued walking. They reached the remains of the gate after a few minutes. There were a dozen armed guards. The pieces of the gate were piled up just outside the walls. The larger pieces were disassembled and stacked against the wall, ready for carpenters to choose which ones, if any, were in good enough condition to reuse. Here you go, Hall said, pointing to their pile of things. Made sure they took care of your effects. 
I'm sorry you have to go. You did a good thing stopping that ogre. All shook all their hands except Ronan, who just looked back into the town at the ogre's body until they were ready to go, ignoring the Greyfurred primal. Brutus stood and watched the town for a moment as well. Mm, I thought they'd come, he said to no one. Oh, I heard from Bubla in Minotown. Hall said quietly to Brutus before he re-entered the town. Brutus turned and looked at Hall. You did? Yeah, uh, he sends his regrets that he cannot say goodbye, but he wanted me to tell you not to worry. She is merely confused, and that you know what he means. Thank you very much, Hall. I do, and it relieves me some worry. Take care of yourself. Aye, and you as well, friend. The two primals nodded to each other. Once the others were ready, they began walking from set, and Ronan followed. Brutus led the way around the town, leading them back to the river heading north. He didn't follow you, Ronan said, breaking the silence after the group had reached the river and Set was fading from sight. Uh, what was that? Hamish was not following Lanny back to Set, Ronan clarified. The old man stopped and sat in a large flat rock in the, on the riverbank. He was breathing hard and sweating more than he should have in the crisp afternoon air. Then why did it go to Set and attack? Ronan drew the white sword and laid it bare on his crossed legs. He was following this. He was trying to find me. Why? The log walls had collapsed. The bulk of Bubalis had made short work of the Wood Elves' timber protections. The Bicetar smashed his way through the lithe elves, their weapons hardly affecting the huge primal. In his wake, Ronan led his friends. His white blade licked out, sending the evil elves falling back or losing body parts. Gideon was the first behind him. His spear jutted out impossibly fast, felling any elves that Ronan missed or left to his Garak friend. Taya swept in next, floating on the displaced air created by her friends. Her warfans flew from her hands to take down archers on the walls that were still standing. She whirled the air around, whipping up winds to deflect enemy arrows. Ferenz leapt over Taya, the red-furred lupine crashing a charging elf to the ground, tearing at it with tooth and claw. Finally, the dwarf stomped his way through the opening, grumbling something about his long legs of his friends. His fiery orange hair was cut into a spiked mohawk. On either side of it were spiraling blue tattoos that continued down his heavily muscled shoulders. The dwarf wore no armor on his torso and only loose pants that were tied off at the knees. The only weapons he carried were studded gauntlets that covered his forearms and large hands. An elf charged at him and the dwarf simply planted his feet, waited until the elf was nearly upon him, and punched with one mighty blow, sending the elf off his feet, flying back three meters before it fell to the ground unmoving. Ha! The dwarf laughed, ignoring the battle around him. Gazi damn purple eyes! Keep them coming! Hamish, get down! Ronan called over his shoulder. Watch their arrows! The dwarf, Hamish, just laughed again and jogged into the fray, punching elves and deflecting arrows with his gauntlets. Their attack was wildly successful. The elves were driven back within their own walls. The forest around them was loud with the sound of battle. The howls of the lupine and the growls of the usaris mingled with the clash of blades from the elves and the few Garrick and human soldiers that attacked with Ronan's party. There, the prince and the sorcerer! Ronan called out, pointing with his blade at two tall elves standing in the back, surveying the battle. The prince stood with his long, sweeping blade drawn. His shoulders were covered with preserved lupine heads that held a long usaris fur cloak. On one hand was a gauntlet formed from the paw of a long-dead lupine, its sharp claws extended out ready to flay flesh from bone. Next to the prince was the horrible-looking elf sorcerer. The elf was gaunt and pale, even for its species. He wore a long cloak of dark violet feathers that covered all but his face. His deep-set eyes were such a dark purple they appeared almost black, and from the edges a dark energy constantly poured out. 
The prince watched the battle with seemingly little interest, while next to him the sorcerer smiled. Ronin and Gideon charged towards the two leaders, but neither elf prepared for the charge. The sorcerer weighed one hand from under his cloak and the ground began moving. Ronin and Gideon halted their charge as a hole appeared in the ground in front of them. Some kind of door slid to the side and a creature, lightning fast, leapt from the opening. Ogre! Taya cried, only her eyes fast enough to follow the creature as it leapt from its cage. The elf ogre was well over two meters tall, nearly three. Its long limbs were covered in spiny bone protrusions and its hands ended in wicked claws. Its head was mostly mouth full of long, jagged teeth. What used to be hair were now long spines that erupted out of the back of its head and down its back. Ronan and Gideon each took a step back, not sure how to deal with an ogre. Neither had encountered one before. The elf ogre landed in front of them and snarled, slashing out with one of its claws. Ronan barely got his sword up in time to deflect the blow, and the strength of the ogre nearly knocked the blade from his hands. Gideon thrust forward with his spear, but the elf ogre easily stepped out of the way. The elf ogre attacked with a flurry of blows that sent Ronan and Gideon reeling. The two were just barely fast enough to deflect each slice. The fact that two of them were fighting it was the only way they were surviving. Taya swirled her fans around, blowing wind over their fight, frustrating the elf ogre, fusing it with leaves blowing around it and loose dirt stinging its eyes. The four battled to a standstill until the sorcerer called to the elf ogre in their language. Get the wind witch! Immediately the elf ogre leapt over Ronan and Gideon and sprinted at Taya. The priestess of the sylphs did not flinch, but instead took a cue from the sorcerer. She saw the elf ogre charging and knew her fans would be little defense against the monster. Instead, she hurled her spiked weapons with all her might and guided them with the wind. The two closed fans buried themselves deep in the sorcerer's chest just as the elf ogre reached her. Taya saw in a flash as the razor-sharp teeth of the elf ogre smelled its dank mouth, felt its hot breath on her face. She could feel the teeth dig into her flesh. But no, that was only her imagination. The teeth never reached her. She opened her eyes and saw Hamish within the elf ogre's jaws. The dwarf had thrown himself in front of her at the last moment and the elf ogre had enclosed nearly all the dwarf's body in his jaws. For all that, Amish was cursing the elf ogre at the top of his lungs, bashing it with his fists about its head. The teeth bit deep, opening nasty wounds all over Amish's arms and torso. The elf ogre bit down, forcing Amish to cry out in pain, blunting his string of insults and curses. The elf ogre loosened its jaw to bite down again, but Amish fell from its maw as it slackened completely and tumbled to the ground. Ronan and Gideon stood behind the dead ogre, both with their enchanted blades deep in its flesh. Ha! We show that, we beastie! Amish said before he passed out. That night, around the glow of a fire, Ronan told Lanny, Cass, and Brutus the story of his friend Amish how he had sacrificed himself to save the woman he loved from near certain death. The group had done everything they could think of to try to save Hamish from his ogroidism, but nothing had worked. Luckily, his dwarven constitution had held off the curse for many years, but the dwarf slowly turned gray, then turned to living stone, eventually becoming a nigh-unkillable ogre. Hamish had asked me to kill him once before the change was complete. I couldn't do it. I was too weak. I thought we could still save him another way. There's nothing I regret more my time in this world. I hate that it had to end this way. I hope you understand why I had to do it, Lanny. Yes, I do now. Lanny said as she wiped a tear from her eyes. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I am too. But it's all ancient history now. Amish is finally at rest, and he can be with Taya and our other friends in the void. Now you are my friends, and we have new goals, very different from my past needs. What are our goals now? Brutus asked while chewing his vegetable dinner. Same as before set, to spread the word of the sprites, of course. 
The more that believe, the stronger the sprites become. It's the only way we can stop Grey Malkin. Uh, stop Grey Malkin? Since when was that a goal? Isn't he a god? He is one of the creators, but we can stop his immortal agents. In my time, it was Scorn, the Goblin King. As far as I know, that creature's long dead, but Grey Malkin has all the power in this world now. Those mongers are his agents now. We need to learn more about them. What they are. How they came into being. How can they be killed? Wow, that's a lot to worry about. It is, but it's more than just me now. I have you three. Ronan looked at each of them in turn with pleading eyes. Grey Milken has ruled this world for far too long. I'm in. Lainey said before anyone else had a chance to mull it over. You are? You are? Of course. I hate Grey Milken and what he stands for as much as anyone. The fear that grips this world made my parents who they are, and I cannot forgive them for that. Well, I'm in too. You have more cause to hate the mongers than me. Cass looked into the fire as she spoke, her eyes focused on the flame, her mouth a straight line of focus. Well, I don't see why not. After meeting some ancestors on my mansha, I can see that we will need more than swords and clubs to battle this evil. That reminds me, where did you get the club and the fancy armor? Brutus held the Kanabo across his lap, and he was clothed in the armor of the Minotaurs, heavy metal plates over thick cloth. His broad shoulders were covered in rounded plates that looked like they were sculpted to fit only him. The cloth was dyed a deep red that went well with Brutus's roan tan fur. From my family. My time with the other minotaurs was enlightening, though I deeply wish it wasn't cut so short. I didn't even have time to say thank you or goodbye. Brutus looked down at the ground between his hooves as he spoke. I learned much about myself and about my ancestry. I learned that these things have been waiting for me for some time. They once belonged to an ancestor of mine named Toro. Brutus smiled and looked up. I met parts of my old family and parts of myself. I know why I took the job I did to watch you, Lanny. And I know now that I will follow you wherever you go. I will do everything in my power to help you. But this new goal, this new drive, I believe in it. I believe we can make a difference. I believe we can protect the world from itself. From Grey Milken. Quite the speech. Lainey jumped to her feet and hugged Brutus. I'll follow you too. That means a lot to me. Brutus hugged Lainey back and then Cass joined in. Ronan sat on the ground, legs crossed and beamed, filled with a new happiness. The group slept around the fire, taking turns on watch as usual. The night passed without incident and they set out again early the next morning. Having told his story, Ronan was in a much better mood, talking with the others and leading them north. How much further do you think it is to your place, Ronan? Lainey asked mid-morning. Two days more at this rate, I would say, until we get to the base. Oh, the, the base? Yes, the base of the mountain I chose as my home. It was created during a nameless war hundreds of years ago. I was not on the continent at the time. It was quite surprising to return and find a new mountain in the flatlands. Someone invoked the power of the gnomes before they were completely gone. You will see it is quite magnificent, not quite unlike the crag further north, has its own majesty. The journey to my home is rather treacherous, I will warn you. Makes a good place for an old man like myself. I can't wait to see it. Just two days. That night, Cass had the first watch. Brutus and Ronan fell asleep quickly, but Lainey wasn't quite ready just yet. You haven't told me about what happened after the ogre separated us in Hope Springs. Lainey said as she sat on a log next to Cass. The two faced away from the fire. They had found a small depression only a few dozen meters from the river. They were protected well to the west and north, but relatively open from the south and east, so Cass set up watching in those directions. The night was cold. Autumn was marching on. Winter was approaching, making sure everyone was aware of its proximity. Lainey's breath was just barely visible as she talked with Cass. 
No, it's been pretty crazy. Hard to believe it was only, what, three days ago? I mean, you heard most of it. I found that religio creature in a bog, and he told me what was going on. I think he was as surprised to see me as I was to see him there. But if that thing ate people, how did you get out of there? Not that I don't think you can take care of yourself. I know what you mean. It was something so scary that the town had to give it sacrifices. How did I survive? I tricked it. Told it I was just a messenger for Bren. Guess the thing is powerful, but not too bright. The two laughed quietly together, and Lanny put her hand on Cass's on the log. They sat there like that for some time, enjoying the peace and company. Then I asked it for directions. Cass said, breaking the silence after a few minutes. I scaled the walls far from the gate and went to find Ronan. Oh yeah, how did you get him out? Lanny asked, looking into Cass's eyes. I went back to that tree we talked to Bren at. I thought he was acting really suspicious then, and I found a door. It led down into the ground, and I found a room. Ronan was inside. It wasn't locked from the outside, so it was easy to get him out. We joked a bit about how easy it was. We figured Bren just had such confidence and secrecy that he didn't need to guard it much. It was pretty well hidden. I only found the opening on accident. What? Lenny was staring into Cass's eyes, smiling. I'm just impressed. You almost got eaten by some big bug monster, but instead figure out something awful happening, and then you came back and rescued pretty much the one person who could kill the ogre. Without you, we would have been done for. You're amazing. Lenny leaned forward and kissed Cass on the mouth. A quick peck, but enough to stun Cass and make her blush. It's Brutus's turn. I'll wake him and get some sleep before my watch. Lenny said quickly, and she stood and walked away. Cass sat on the log, surprised and happy. The next day passed similarly to the day before. The group continued walking north, and the most interesting thing they saw was in the distance in the fields to the west, a pack of Renrek taking down a hulking thunderhoof. The four of them hunkered down in a small copse of trees on a knoll and watched the spectacle of nature. The thunderhoof was truly massive. It stood on six long legs that ended in cloven hooves. Its body extended into a long raised neck with a, horn, with a horned head at the top. The creature's tail was spined and swept back and forth, keeping the Renrex at bay. Looks like the monsters I saw on the windscape during my mansha, Brutus whispered, even though the clash was happening half a kilometer away. You saw the windscape? Ronan said, eyes wide. Even I've never braved that place. You must tell me about it later. It was only a vision, but I will tell you all to remember. I look forward to it, but for now I wonder what you all think will happen here, Ronan said to the other three. That thunderhoof thing is going to kill a few, then the rest will run away. Why do you say that? Just look at it. That thing is huge, even for a thunderhoof. The animal was at least 50 meters tall. The Renrex, while large creatures themselves, looked positively tiny compared to it. The larger creature always wins? Out here, usually. What about Set? We were like those Renrex compared to that ogre. To Amish. Okay, true. But those Renrex don't have a flaming magic sword. No, but they have something the Thunderhoof does not. They have strategy. They watched the rest of the battle in silence as the Renrex circled around the feet of the Thunderhoof, using their huge opening maws and whip tails to slash large gashes in the legs. A few of the red and black monsters were crushed or swept aside by the Thunderhoof's tail, but there were nearly a score of the things, and soon the bottom half of all six of the Thunderhoof's legs were red with blood. Finally, the Thunderhoof had had enough. One of its front legs buckled, and the Thunderhoof crashed to the ground. The shockwave of the impact shook the trees around the floor as they watched in awe. The Thunderhoof was on the ground, but it was not without defenses. The double set of horns, one curled, one straight, gored a pair of Renrex that got too close. 
The others, though, tore at the neck of the Thunderhoof. It wasn't long until the struggle stopped and the Renrex slowly enjoyed their well-earned meal. That will feed the pack for weeks, Ronan explained as he rose to his feet. This field will become a carrion feasting ground. The Renrex will need to defend it, but there aren't many things around here that would take on that many of them. That's a large pack. Looks safe for us to continue. We're no meal compared to what they just earned. They continued on again. Lanny stole looks back at the carnage, trying to figure out how she was so wrong. There it is, Ronan said as the sun began ducking behind the horizon. The mountain, Barbagazi's tooth. Ronan stood at the edge of the deep ravine, a rift a kilometer across. To the south, the ravine was a large lake, the source of the river they had been following for days. Well, that is why we couldn't see it from afar. I was wondering why we weren't seeing anything. I was waiting for someone to ask. In the center of the deep ravine was a pillar of rough stone, stuck out unnaturally in the middle of the ravine, sitting in the center of the river that flowed north from the lake. At the top of the pillar was a structure that could be made out in the darkening gloom. How do we get there? I don't know if I can climb that. Usually I just fly over. Fly? Sure, like this. Ronan leapt from the cliff's edge and used the swirling winds of the ravine to lift himself across the way. He turned around after a few dozen meters and drifted back. The gift of the sylphs allows me to move the winds enough to lift me. I don't think I could do it for all of you, though. So how are we getting there? Climb, of course. There's a path on this side. The tooth isn't as bad to climb as it looks. Fantastic. The hike was long. The cliff sides were nearly half a kilometer from top to bottom, but the trail constantly switched back and forth, making the walk take hours. Lanny's thighs were burning when they finally reached the bottom. Ronan had pushed for them to continue to the bottom before they camped, even though they hiked well past sunset. The stars were bright in that cloudless night, and the path was well cleared. Ronan had explained that it was a common deer path, and many hooved animals used it regularly to enter and exit the ravine. The river at the center was an area where many animals and other creatures flocked for water. The trip left them all exhausted, but Ronan volunteered to take the first watch as he insisted they continue well into the night. The next morning, the group slept in a bit and Cass disappeared for nearly half an hour, but returned with an armful of fish from the river. Now that they were at the bottom of the ravine, the half kilometer to the tooth was nothing. It's so cool down here. Lainey remarked while the group enjoyed their cooked salmon for breakfast. Aside from Brutus, he found some wonderful turnips near the campsite. The river keeps it cool. The sun doesn't reach most of the ravine until well into the morning, so it keeps the cool night air longer. On the edge up top is much warmer, as it gets sun all day. I chose this spot partly for that reason. Even on top of the tooth, the air is cooler in the summer. The four set off shortly and made it to the base of the tooth in less than an hour. The tooth sat as a massive column of light brown rock jutting up from the middle of the river in the center of the ravine. The column was roughly 30 meters wide at the base, and the river, which was shallow here, only up to Laney's ankles, was easily fordable. The tooth was a different matter. So how do we climb this? Laney said, looking at the smooth face. The sprites provide ways for those that look. The old man pressed his hands on the stone and shut his eyes. Lainey felt a slight rumble in her feet, and suddenly handholds and divots appeared in the rock, snaking their way up to the top. Not exactly stairs, but it should do. Ronan said as he stepped back and admired his handiwork. He was out of breath, but not nearly as tired as he thought he would be from the task. Ever since he had told Lainey, Brutus, and Cass about the sprites, he had noticed his powers came ever so slightly easier to him. Making these handholds would have forced him to sit and rest for a time, possibly even nap. Now he just needed a minute to catch his breath and was ready to climb. Things were certainly looking up. Lainey leapt up and grabbed one of the handholds. Let's get going. She called out and began climbing. Brutus followed her after she was up a few meters, naturally. Cass went next, allowing Ronan to catch his breath. Lainey enjoyed the climb. 
The handles were solid and fit her hands well. The divots were perfect for her feet. As she climbed, she felt the muscles in her arms and legs begin to warm. She'd never climbed like this before, and it was exhilarating. The wind began to blow, whipping her short hair around her head. She smelled the crisp autumn air and was happy. Then he was a few dozen meters up when she looked down to make sure everyone was keeping up. She saw Ronan was on the ground and was puzzled. He had his sword drawn in a defensive stance. Lenny looked over her shoulder and nearly fell off the tooth in shock. The three mongers were standing at the far bank of the river and her feeling of happiness disappeared. No! What? They back! I freaking knew it too. Like, I mean, obviously I've read this so I knew it, but <laughs> as Lenny's climbing and like Ronan is like, yeah, this is great. Things were certainly looking up. Double middle fingers. Lenny's <laughs> like, wow, I'm so happy. I'm climbing. I was really happy. I missed these guys. I wondered what they were up to. The mongers? Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> things are going too well for them. Yeah. For Always. one chapter. Ugh. So. <laughs> Almost. I mean, there's only so many things that can happen right, there's in this one next chapter. chapter. Left, so. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, you make your predictions now. Mm-hmm. Want to just get to it? Sure. Um, I mean, they might be spot on. I think Ronan dies here. You think so? Uh, or Brutus. One of them has to. Yeah. Um, has to? Yeah. I mean. They're yeah. both too good. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You can't have that much good. Um, party. Brutus just went on this quest where he becomes a protector. So he yep. he or Ronan sacrificed themselves here to save uh, Cass and Lanny. Think he's gonna like Morpheus it up and just and jump through the wall Who? from the Matrix? No. <laughs> As maybe if you've listened to Big Fiction Energy, you would know that that's one of the greatest movies we've never seen. This is Big Fiction Energy, and yes, oh, what I, I know Charlie hasn't seen it. Big Chuck hasn't seen it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I, I assume I assume one of them's got to bite it. It's got to be one of those two because I already predicted that Cass dies, and she hasn't died yet, so she's probably immune for a little bit. Um, you think she's immune because you were wrong before? Yeah, that's okay. normally how it goes. <laughs> I like that logic. You don't think it's going to be Lanny? No. Lanny can't die. Because you've already, you've already said that, you well, know, you're working on the second Lanny no. book. I mean, that's fair. I mean, granted, granted. Lanny, the girl without he's... consciousness. <laughs> Lanny, the girl without life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Lanny, the girl in the void. In the same way that Jork is getting some more uh, canon material, you know, I guess you could write a second book about Lanny's prequel of just her in school, you know, cutting girls' faces or whatever. Yeah. That sounds riveting. Yeah. I love how every time you say Jork, you say it like so excited. Like, since Jork. Well, yeah. <laughs> you got to speak about positive influences in the universe in a positive right. light, especially you- when they're still alive and will never die. That's right. You get back what you put out into the universe. So if he puts out a living jork into the universe, that's what he's going to get back. Yeah. Oh, it's I mean, it kind of worked because the big reason, not the only reason, but the big reason I'm writing the, the extra jork story is because you asked for it so many times. How did he lose his horn? How does it, how is he a small business owner? What, what is his story? And finally I was like, you know what? Tim deserves it. So I'm going to write it. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you think of the manga return? Um, I had kind of forgotten about them. Yeah. Uh, like they were, they were, it was uh, very well-timed in that they had been gone long enough 
um, where for a while they were constantly like there. It's like, well, they could only be a couple days behind. They're right. probably catching up at some point. Now that they've spent a while here, you know, it makes sense that they finally kind of got out of that hole and have, you know, walked over there to set. Uh, it's kind of what I was hoping you would say that it was long enough that you kind of forgot about them. Yeah. Same as the ogre in, in the last couple of chapters. Like, not that we for, like we kind of forgot about ogres being that threat and then he showed up and we kind of forgot about them. That new threat kind of took the place in your mind. Yeah. Then the mongers are kind of forgotten about and then they show back up. Well, I mean, assumed even Hamish that those flashbacks were to set up something outside right. of just Ronan's history. This that one was more to explain what happened. Gotcha. Because it was it was to represent Ronan telling them the story of how his friend turned into an ogre. Oh, I meant like the ones way before. Yeah, like yeah, when, yeah. When Hamish and them were first kind of. Introduced. Oh, true, true. Yeah, that was the setup in Ronan's introduction and whatnot, yeah. and to show these other things that happened and, in the past. The plant seeds, Chris Claremont seeds for like. Yeah. Sprinkles, one sprinkle per two gallons of ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a lot of sprinkles. I know that's Chris Claremont writing. Not a lot of. Sp- Sprinkles. <laughs> okay. They're very spread out sprinkles. I like my sprinkles spread personally. Very sporadic sprinkles. You give me all those sprinkles. Yesterday I got ice cream for lunch. Surprise. And oh my God. she like loaded it up with the sprinkles and I was like, girl. Yes. So when I was like, yeah, go get something for lunch. And I was like, I don't know what to have. And you never responded. So I was like. You're right. It's Dan's I'm, fault. You got ice cream. What? It's one hundred percent. Full disclosure: I got Taco Bell for lunch yesterday. I know, I saw so I had Taco <laughs> Bell for lunch. <laughs> I hated myself for it afterwards, but it tasted good. See, I didn't hate myself after that ice cream. I was like, Oof. that Daisy Queen, you know? What All right, not Dairy oh, Queen. Not it's dairy one, queen. Letter one letter different. Different Daisy Queen. Makes sense. They've got great soft serve. Different enough. Yep. Isn't every soft serve the same always? No. How dare you? Right? <laughs> McDonald's soft serve is a vanilla mix that freezes. Dairy Queen. McDonald's doesn't have soft serve because the machine's always broken. I mean. I mean, when does soft serve become soft serve? When it's that weird milk state in a bag <laughs> or when it's in a machine that's working? Right. Fair. Fair. But Dairy Queen's is a milk-based vanilla mix that also can freeze. How is that different? Wendy's is a cellulose-based vanilla mix that has the ability to get slightly more solid when it is colder. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you know way too much about this. Uh, Yeah, only because uh, I researched for a while how much sawdust you can put in a Rice Krispie treat before it becomes uh, noticeable. Was that this show we talked about? Yeah. (laughs) And I believe that there was a conversation that uh, the Wendy's Frosties Yes. Uh, we're made out of cellulose, which is very similar right. to I remember that now. At least okay. Tim listens to what I say. I drift in and out. Fair. <laughs> it's been a long time. So, Danny, I got a question for you. I've got seven answers. I, at least. I know we've talked about a Quint bunch of times. Choir. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, Justino's Pizza Rolls. Yeah. It's always your guys' answer for episode 20. If that's not your answer, I'll be shocked. I'm going to I'm gonna make the question. I actually have the question, but I'm going to make a new question. Those are the answers, and you're not going to say it as a joke. And then it'll be like, ha, the answer was Quentin Choir, Quentin Tarantino, and Tostino's Pizza Rolls. You guys suck. Wow. Um, so we've talked a bunch of times about how you have 
obviously read this before. You were a yes. beta reader. You helped me edit. Yep. Who do you think that I think won't really die? <laughs> At this point, when you first read it, what did you think was going on? What, what did you think might happen? What were you th- your thoughts? I don't remember completely. Sh- let me think. While she's thinking, can I give you an overly precise prediction? Sure. Those are fun. I think that Brutus or Ronan dies, but one of the other two, Cass or Lanny, also probably gets mortally wounded. And in like a tearful, slow, crying, uh, you know, tears falling on her chest, the 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 belief of magic uh, salamander heals whoever is near death, but not dead. But you're meant to believe that they're dying. I do like how specific that was. Yeah, it was pretty good scene building. Yeah. <laughs> Got those healing tears. <laughs> I don't think when I first read this, I don't think that I thought anybody was going to die. I was just like, all right, they're, they've got more experience now. They're going to go wreck those mongers and they're all going to live on the top of Ronan's mountain and he's going to teach them elemental powers. They definitely all leveled up after fighting that ogre. Let's be honest. For sure. They Except for Chaos. She leveled up from her other stuff. Right, yeah. <laughs> from outsmarting praying mantis dude. Religlio. Religlio. Uh, can we also have a short story about um, the town of Set dealing with Religlio? Actually, uh, JB... Bruno on a grim podcast, a perilous adventure requested that he said he wants like a real dark gritty, like a team of primals head out from set to go take on Religlio. And I was like, Oh, I like that. And I'd forgotten why about it. Why don't you do that specific scene as a one shot in the RPG mm-hmm. that's based off of the Lanny universe? Literally that thought just came into my head. That's a pretty cool idea. I like that. We could totally do that. Do both. The the RPG based on this world that like the typically it takes place back in like before Ronan's time. Right. But we could totally use the rules to play out that encounter. Sure. Yeah. Cool. That'll be that bonus episode will be us playing a game to tell that story. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Fun. Can I be Bren? No. He was already dealt with. What does that mean? Dealt with. Uh, you will find out in that story, I guess. Oh man. You don't get to, you know, you wouldn't be able to play as Bren. I imagine they would force Bren to show them where Religio is and he would do everything in his power to mess it all up and get them all killed. I mean, that sounds like pretty much every character I've ever played in a tabletop before. <laughs> Self-sabotaging my own team. So, I mean, it's entirely true. You know, if you're not listening to a grim podcast, a perilous adventure, you do yourself a favor and check that out because you already have good taste listening to this show and you can see what nonsense Tim's talking about. Yeah, nonsense. If I slap my teammate on the back, will she lose all of her advantage? It's <laughs> <laughs> a valid question. And he tried to get me arrested. Yes, that's also true. Well, you yeah. murdered my friend, so, you know. Whatever. So, as usual, I want to hear some predictions from the audience. Give us a shout out on Twitter. You can message me at or tag me in a tweet at Icedan underscore HDH or tag the network at Top Tier Casual. You can send us an email, theprofessionalcasual at gmail.com. You can send us a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash professionalcasual. Mm-hmm. I'm good at this. You are. You got it. You got it. That's why this is the flagship show. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the flagship show, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the one that started it all. Really, so many flagships. Yeah. This was the first, but it wasn't the first professional casual show 
it is, um, it was the progenerator to the network as a whole. Oh, I like that. Assistant to the regional manager. Yeah. <laughs> but I love to hear people's predictions or their reactions to what's happening before the final episode, chapter 20 return. And to do that, go on down to Mr. Cluck's chicken shack to use their Wi-Fi and tell Hurley we said, Hey, rock on Portland, rock over gall. Fiber one. What can Brown do for you? other great shows available from the professional casual network including the space between presents which is a deep dive into docu-series including season one where we covered tiger king season two where we covered jeffrey epstein filthy rich and season three where we're currently covering mcmillions we also have the lost omens podcast our new actual play that's coming soon where we're playing pathfinder second edition we also have big fiction energy our audio drama podcast in which we tell the story of Lanny, the girl without fear, featuring sirenscape sound effects and music. The grim podcast of Perilous Adventure is our Warhammer fantasy roleplay actual play podcast. Where we play through the enemy within campaign and try to survive the perils of the old world. We also have Elite Eight Showdown, where host Big Chuck takes an eight team bracket that could be about anything and everything and pits them against each other. We also have the space between which is a deep dive podcast on the best video games, comics, and movies of today and yesteryear. Last, we have Professionally Asked, Casually Answered, an advice podcast where we take questions from you, our listeners and patrons, and try not to completely ruin your life. You can submit questions through any of the following places. Hit us up on Instagram, The Professional Casual. Our email address is theprofessionalcasual at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Top Tier Casual. Facebook is facebook.com slash professional casual. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash professional casual. And our website is professionalcasual.com. 